Welcome to I'm In, the Institute of Hospitality's official podcast hosted by me, Phil Street, FIH. Today we're talking about what everyone is talking about, talent attraction, and joining me to put that through its paces, we have Harry Champion, AIH, Zachary Millward, MIH, and Michaela Barlow, FIH. As always, a massive thank you to all three of them for giving up the time and opinion. Don't forget, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, just reach out to me directly at phil.street at instituteofhospitality.org. But for now, let's find out about the changing face of talent attraction. Hello and welcome to the next episode of I'm In, the Institute of Hospitality's official podcast, hosted as always by me, Phil Street, FIH. Today we're going to open up a big old can of worms by chatting about a topic on everyone's lips, that being talent attraction and its ever-changing face. Frankly, this is a topic I could probably rant on about for 45 minutes all on my own, but you'll be glad to hear that I'm not going to do that. So I'm once again joined by three of the IOH's finest who have all very kindly given up their time to chat to me today. I think that's turning into a bit of a catchphrase, that one, to be honest. But uh, there we are. So in any case, from our fellowship, we have Michaela Barlow, who is the quality director at this wonderful people over at HIT Training. Hi, Michaela. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very good, thank you. Very good. Good, good, good. Where do we find you today? Where are you recording from? Today I am in a little village called Warsash, which is Southampton, so at the bottom of the country. Oh my God, I've got a story about Warsash. <laughs> I went to Marine College there to uh, to learn how to drive lifeboats when I was on cruise ships. Uh, it's, it's about two minutes from where I live, so there you go. Yes, what I do remember about that period as well was the fact that it was absolutely teeming down with rain and about 30 mile an hour winds, which was wonderful conditions to go and learn about stuff on the water. <laughs> Delightful. Yes. So what does a, a quality director do? Uh, well, I have the absolute privilege of working at HIT Training um, and in the quality team, I look after the standards in teaching and learning the assessments, endpoint assessment organisations, Ofsted requirements, the SEND provision, functional skills. Um, so it's, it's a really diverse role and, uh, and it means that I work across all of the departments within HIT um, and the employers as well. So I am truly privileged in what I do. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, we've had... Uh, a I think we've had two people on the podcast before from HIT. You're a, a wonderful group of people, I think, doing some great stuff. So long may that continue. Thank you. Um, next up, from within the MIH ranks, we have Zachary Millward, who is a workplace coach at Learn More Network Limited. Afternoon, Phil. How are we doing? Very good. How are you? Very well, thank you. I can't can't complain. I'm coming to you from a very sunny Berthold Common just outside Reading. I'm actually only about 40 minutes from Michaela. So we're representing not only L&D together today, but the beautiful South. Very good. Uh, yeah, I have no stories about where you live, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but uh, maybe one day, maybe one day. But uh, yeah, just tell us a little bit more about what it is that you do, because you're. I, I looked at your background before we, we jumped on this. Uh, you definitely look like you come from a, a very operational focus, but this is a kind of a, a slight sideways move. Yeah, absolutely. So I've spent the last 12 years of my career in, in hospitality operations. And in January of this year, uh, I transitioned into an L&D role with Learn More. Um, so I'm a workplace coach. So much like Michaela, I work for a training provider. I am on, I suppose, the other end of the scale where she focuses on this wonderful quality development of content. I focus on delivering that out uh, to learners in the workplace. So I deliver qualifications for level three team leaders at level five operations managers predominantly across South Central throughout a range of businesses, pubs, restaurants, bars and hotels. Great stuff. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. I think both of your opinions are going to be really interesting to get your take from what you're seeing with regards to the roles that you do as well. So uh, great to get your, your thoughts on that. But before we get there, of course, we have another member with us from our ARH ranks, and that is Harry Champion, who is a senior private events manager at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Hello, good afternoon. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I suppose um, we'll put it out there now. Uh, it doesn't matter what football team you support. It doesn't matter to me. Um, doesn't matter to our staff or our venue, but it just so happens I'm in sunny Tottenham at the moment here in the stadium. And uh, we are preparing for, although football season is finished, we've got concerts at the moment. So we're on our third concert of the season and that will go live on, depending when you're listening to this, on Saturday. 
Yeah, so I was concerned when I, I read <laughs> Tottenham Hotspur that uh, we'd lose all the Arsenal fans straight away before we even get into a, a topic of discussion. So glad you've clarified your allegiance is neutral. Absolutely. Uh, in, in that regard. Also, as a stadium spotter, your stadium is something special. Well, that's very kind of you to say. Um, we are the, I suppose it's the newest stadium that's been built and we're now in our fifth season. Wow, is it five already? My yeah. goodness. Yeah, time Which flies. Is, it's been a turbulent five years. Um, I suppose not just on the pitch, but I suppose off as well with the pandemic, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, we've only actually had two full seasons operating. Right. Yeah. I suppose on sort of operating, very different to Michaela and Zachary. I'm heavily operations based. Um, so we've got three private members clubs here within the stadium, in different physical levels of the stadium, and different client base as well. So it keeps me on my toes on and off season. Yeah, sure thing. I, I, I was going to ask you what the private events are, but you're focused on the private members element within yeah, the club. So we've got, uh, well, we have private members and we also have our private event side. So we can have events that range from six people for sort of a small little meeting, or it can be an event for several thousand. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, you're also a champion by name and nature because you jumped in right at the last minute to uh, to cover off uh, somebody who couldn't make it. So uh, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here today. Very welcome, Phil. Very welcome. Fantastic. Great stuff. Okay, well, I'm going to come back to you, Michaela. question we always love to, to ask people when they come on the show. Why did you say I'm in to the Institute of Hospitality? Oh, my goodness. I think the Institute of Hospitality is absolutely an incredible organisation. Working well, with, we can just leave that there if you want. Well, I think working with <laughs> like-minded um, people that have got the passion for hospitality and um, no two people have got the same role or work in the same type of organisation. So just sharing experiences and listening to individuals. I mean, already I am so drawn into Harry and Zachary. Um, I can't wait to, to listen to, to the rest of them. But uh, the IOH invest in so many different events, CPD, um, and I just think it's incredible. So why wouldn't I support you guys? Fantastic. Yeah, I love that because uh, equally, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head as well by even doing something like this, you know, you just get to meet new people who give a monkeys about hospitality. It's amazing. Absolutely. And same question to you, Zachary. Why did you say I'm into the IOH? So I joined the IOH in November of 2020. So at the height of the pandemic, I've been following the activities of a colleague at the time, Rachel Stevens. She was the guest relations manager at Southlog and uh, the chair of the former IOH Sussex. So she actively encouraged me to utilise the IOH's resources and network to, to benefit my own CPD. And actually, just to alleviate a little bit the feeling of, of isolation, because at the time I was I was shielding, so I was very disconnected from, from the world around us. But that subsequent engagement, kind of support and direction, and particularly from the former IOH Thames Valley committee members, Francisco and Mark, has, has led me to involvement in things like Springboard, the Enterprise Career Service, and it's, it's just got me onto the uh, Level 5 Transformational Leadership Programme, the Tickety Boo, which has been endorsed by the Master Inholders. So, yeah, absolute opportunity abounds with the IOH, and that really is the driving force behind it. I love that as well. And then finally to, to you, Harry, same question. Why are you in? Yes, well, it all came about in, uh, I think it was second year of university, um, a lot of my lecturers at the time, I studied hospitality, and they were all uh, members or of the Institute. And it was, again, as Michaela sort of aptly put, it's having the opportunity to really tap into a, a group of people with a shared interest, with a sheer wealth of knowledge. And it's just wonderful to be able to sort of, um, I suppose, steal off of it, really. Well, excellent. Yeah, I mean, I, I could not agree with you all uh, any more. I think the uh, there's nothing really for me to add. I've, I've been quite uh, vociferous on the show around why I'm in. Uh, so many reasons why somebody should come and join the IOH. So if you're not already a member and you're listening, get on with it. But uh, anyway, yeah, I think it's time to, to get on with today's topic, which is, as, as I said, at the head of the show, is all about the changing face of talent attraction. So my opening statement is this, and I've actually changed this about 10 times since I started writing this. So I've gone with this one. There's probably about 100 different ones that I could have done, but I've gone with this. Hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. 
It's not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom not disturbed by dividing lines. And that was from a gentleman by the name of Henry J.M. Newen, who was a, a Dutch Catholic priest who did a, an awful lot of philosophy and psychology work as well. And I just love the power of that phrase because there's so much that could be unpacked within there, not just from within hospitality in the sense of the hospitality that we deliver to our guests, but actually the hospitality we offer to somebody when they come to work with us. So I thought that was apt in that way. I suppose there's so many things to talk about today. As I said, I could rant about this all day myself, but uh, I'm just going to ask you a very open question and anyone can feel free to jump into this. And that is, what's changed over the last five or so years when it comes to talent attraction? What's What are the most important factors now compared with, say, five years ago? I think it's a really interesting question, a topic, again, that we could spend hours and hours talking about. For me, there's two, I think, looking at my learners, my, my cohorts that spring to mind. The first one is flexibility, certainly. And if we look at the 2020 Global Talent Trends Report, there's been 35% more engagements when a company post mentions flexibility, 83% increase in job post mentioning it, and 340% increase in flexibility mentioned in company job posts and social media. But I suppose the real challenging question for a lot of businesses is how do we provide flexibility while maintaining effective operations? I'm not certain we necessarily have a definitive answer for that at the moment. The other thing that I think we've seen certainly an increased importance on is well-being. I and mean, if we look at well-being, we're talking about the state of being comfortable, happy or healthy. Now, we know that people favor a humanist culture that's grounded in care, compassion, and trust. And team members that feel cared for, they're, they're three times more likely to be happy at work, three times more likely to recommend working for that company. And since if we look at 2019, it's so not quite five years back, there's been a 147% increase in the share of job posts that mention well-being and 73% increase in company posts about it. So prospective employees want to see leaders that prioritize their people's mental, physical, and emotional well-being and you know, who embrace healthy work habits and understand the value of taking to time of taking that time to recharge and they must 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 and i'm sure Michael will echo me on this one they must see potential to grow and invest in their own learning and development an absolute must i i couldn't agree more with that last point i think that to enable the the sector to recruit the right people and for it to be the right fit to have that development opportunity is so important for everybody that they can see the direction of travel that they can go in so that when they are recruited successfully, they've got a really effective onboarding process with clear training goals. And then they've got something to aim for as well. So they, they know there's a continual pathway and it doesn't just stop once the induction's finished. Uh, and that allows hospitality to keep growing and individuals to really unlock their true potential which is so important. Mm. I think Michaela if I can just your point that you mentioned there about onboarding I suppose we've maybe sort of skipped a little bit about how we attract them first but I think the onboarding process as you say is the it's the first point that a prospective staff member or even a staff member will come to your business and I think to get the uh, orientation right first of all, is so, so important. It sort of sets the tone for their their employment, really. Yeah, absolutely it does. Um, making sure that we're so transparent with uh, what our values are, what our culture is, making sure that policies and processes, uh, they're, they're all unlocked and available right from the beginning. So absolutely. that, you know, that's just, it's just a really natural process for somebody and they don't feel that oh my goodness I didn't know that and I wish I had because I may have made a different um, sort of uh, outcome with that job role. Mm. If I could ask Harry obviously you working predominantly in operations we know that is mm. very tough <laughs> tough sector of hospitality to maintain you know a good work-life balance and sort of attract people for so I suppose my question is being sort of toward the younger end of the scale sorry Michaela no no offense meant here what was it that kind of attracted you to that operational focused element of hospitality I mean hospitality by its definition sort of if you go back to the Greek it's sort of uh, the Greek origin of the word is being a friend to a stranger and I think I always thought when I was younger I could never be sat behind a desk um, sort of day in, day out. Whereas hospitality, fine, we sort of laugh and joke that it's, 
yes, the work-life balance isn't always there. But I think what's lovely is hospitality. You really can make or break somebody's day. It could be a random Tuesday. It could be their birthday. It could be their anniversary. But you are always in the centre of their experience. And I think that is very, very rewarding. Couldn't agree more. And I think that's exactly the right sentiment we should all be expressing when it comes to sharing our careers, our values, our experience uh, and the importance of what we do. Yeah. And I think we always say that the work-life balance might not be there all the time. But one I always tell fellow managers or other people within the industry, I think it's very clear that people work for people. Um, the onboarding process and things like that, that's very important for the business. But if you if you're not a let's say empathetic would be the right word, manager, I think staff would not necessarily come back or indeed prior to coming back to actually get to your business in the first place. Yeah, I mean, there's an awful lot to unpack there, guys. That's a really uh, wonderful start to the to the conversation. And I've, I just before I get into that, I just want to congratulate Zachary on being the most prepared guest I think I've ever had on the show <laughs> with all those statistics. Um, and um, I had some myself, but I, you've kind of done my job for me, so that's uh, that's wonderful. But yeah, I mean, I think I I always equate it to to the the two elements. If we bring this back to talent attraction, is that you know there's no one method of doing one thing that is the solution here it's a combination of lots of different things over the whole piece so I mean it's one thing I I think for a company to be doing something well that attracts people from uh, the outside as to why they might want to come and work for them in the first place and that's all about marketing you know that's just about how the job is written how the uh, how the company's goals values etc are portrayed at interview and then on the other side is the delivery. When somebody comes in, are you carrying out everything that your marketing said you would? Uh, and it's no different, really, to, I suppose, any other part of the business. It's the same if you're marketing your, your product to guests and they, they like your marketing and they come in and they want to involve themselves in your product, but then you don't deliver on what the marketing said you would then of course it's a negative experience and people will will remember that. It's exactly the same principle for me when it comes to talent attraction. You you can't have a disconnect between all the many facets of the attraction process. But, you know, first and foremost, it starts with yourself as a business. You've got to really truly understand what you you stand for, what you want to stand for. And you're not going to attract every single person to that, but that's good. That's what you don't want to be attracting everyone to come in. You want to attract the people who really get you. Absolutely. Hmm. That was rant number one. Let's see, uh, <laughs> let's see how long it takes for the the uh, the next one. But um, yeah, I mean, so let's talk about the generation, therefore, of a strong employer brand, because that is probably the first thing that if, unless somebody is driven by the fact that I just need to find a job, then you know, then they probably are not really caring too much about the, the the property that they want to go and work at. It's just all about the necessity to find work because maybe they need the money. Maybe you know, there's other elements in play. They just need the, the camaraderie of being part of a team, whatever that may be. But if you're building a career and there's you want to build something for the future, the employer brand is massively important. I'd say. Yeah. So what what can companies create? Uh, or how can companies create, sorry, a, a strong employer brand that attacks top talent? I, I think simplistically, at very base level, uh, is just be transparent about who you are. As you as you so rightly said, I think the, a pet peeve of many people looking for roles is that candidates, you know, they don't want to see fluffy words, cliche terminology. They want to know what your workplace structure is, you know, what kind of benefits you offer, what bonuses are there, what are you looking for in a job, you know, make what you do, your brand image, meaningful, fill it with expectation, with hope, with, you know, tasks, objectives, and you'll attract groups of candidates with a higher chance of being a good fit for your company. I, I totally agree. Being honest, open, clear, transparent, not using complicated jargon. We love to do that in education as well. <laughs> remove that and talk to the person. And and then by doing that, you're going to attract the, the right fit for your organisation, but really importantly, for your clients and your customers as well. Because Absolutely. you've got to have 
that fit. But uh, and I said earlier about making sure that things like your your policies and your processes are shared early doors so that somebody can really understand what you are like as an organization so they can see how they fit with you. Mm. And there are no hidden surprises. And it's remarkable then what a difference that actually makes. Absolutely. Your people are your, your biggest brand ambassadors. So use them, have them create and distribute employer branding content related to your business and use it to build relationships with kind of the best candidates out there, you know, over the course of six to 12 months. You know, these could be newsletters, TikToks, I don't know, Snapchats, whatever media that you're using to captivate that market. I think we have to remember that a lot of the time, the best people aren't looking for new roles, but it's your brand image that attracts them, that has that clout, that ties them in. Yeah, absolutely. Sharing case studies and things like that. Mm. Uh, Somebody that's worked for the organisation and come on board and then they're able to share that and somebody else can see, oh my goodness, that particular organisation really does do what it says on the tin. Um, And I want a piece of that. I want to work for them and (laughs) represent them. Yeah, I I think as well that continuity plays a massive part in this, uh, I think as well, because if you you contemplate a, a business who with the people that they have at the disposal in that moment have come up with a, a set of values, a set of goals, um, a set of marketing tools that they want to portray to the world that this is what it's like to come and work in this organization. Inevitably, at some point down the line, one of those people who've put that together is going to move on. So how do you also then create the continuity that if something is working, but then somebody who's an important part of that chain moves on because maybe they just can't get the same career development that they can where they are so they move somewhere else or whatever the reason might be there's all manner of reasons why people will move on positive as well as negative how do you then i suppose get that continuity across so that if some if an important part of the chain is leaving that you're not losing the message I suppose ultimately what you want to make sure is that whilst it's wonderful to have these linchpins in your chain is that you have members within your business that are able to fulfill that role, that they're constantly developing new knowledge, skills and behaviours to allow them to fill that gap, that person's responsibilities. So you're not seeing that break. So as you said very rightly, Phil, you maintain that continuity and you keep that confidence um, with regards to your team members and prospective candidates. So it's a case of having someone ready to fill those shoes at all times. And really, I'm going to tout the L&D line now. That's about fortifying them with qualifications and Development that's going to support those skills. I think what we're seeing all too often in our, in our young people, particularly at the moment, and I'd be keen to kind of get Harry's opinion on this, is that as a sector, we're very, very good at providing opportunity to young people to assume leadership roles. Perhaps where we've historically fallen down, maybe continue to fall down, is not equipping them with the right skills and knowledge to deliver the best they possibly can in that role. And ultimately, what then happens is they're put into roles that they're not quite prepared for, they're not equipped, they burn out, we lose them, and ultimately, our talent chain suffers and they're not able to step into the shoes of that linchpin that was there before. And I suppose now feeling that out to to Harry and Michaela, I'd like to sort of get their thoughts on how they think and feel about that sort of analysis of our sector. Yeah, I think there's, I suppose, two bits to discuss there. Like you say, the historically you would start as a kitchen porter, move up to a waiter, then you're a section waiter, chef de rang, demi-chef de rang, up you go. But you're often... And then sort of, as you say, accelerated through to management level where you have a small team beneath you, but you've missed the, I suppose it all comes down to struggling for staff. There's not necessarily the bodies that you require. So you are, I suppose, promoting from what you've got, but not necessarily ready for it. And you're missing out on the experience that comes with partly time um, and partly taught so that area of experience, as you say, when they've been promoted through, they are missing that sort of roundedness, I suppose. I think that's a great point. I, I, we've spoken about this across many different discussions, actually. The, there's there's also there's a willingness from the individual to accelerate forward uh, as quickly as they can. But a lot of the time it, it pays to actually slow that down because you get to consolidate your learning. Now, in a circumstance that you've just described there, it's not always possible. If you're, if the individual sees an opportunity to advance and the business sees an opportunity to hang on to somebody who they really love and respect as part of their business, then that's a, that's a whole different kettle of fish, I suppose. But I suppose the question on the back of that then is, how do we, if we're as an industry, and I don't actually just want to highlight the fact that this is a hospitality problem, by the way, because this is, 
actually across all sectors that I speak to people in, everybody has a talent shortage. It's not just a hospitality thing. So I want to be really clear about that because I, I think a lot of the time everybody thinks that it's what do we do? What do we do? But actually, it's it's just for whatever reason, the whole world is struggling for talent uh, at the moment. Uh, God, that's a that's a deep line, isn't it? Yes. Um, <laughs> very, very foreboding and morbid, Phil. <laughs> indeed. Yeah. God, I'm just going to finish it now and, uh, and crack on. But um, so how do we fix that as an industry? Are, are we responsible for changing that or do we have to allow the, I suppose the natural order of things for people to establish that actually if if I really do want to get on with my life and get on and build a career of some description, whether that's in hospitality or not, that I've got to take ownership of that myself and stop kind of running away from the, the bad stuff that happens, uh, but actually just find yourself in a moment where you're out of your depth and deal with it and take the learning that's inevitably going to come from that. I think it even comes, if we take that further back, I think, Zachary, it was to your point that, or Phil or Zachary, I'm sorry, I can't remember, but about people coming into the business, whereas it's just a job rather than seeing it as a career. I think hospitality in general, and particularly this country hospitality, that hospitality is not seen as a career yet. I think in France and Italy, to a certain extent Spain, if you're in hospitality, they can see that as a career just as much as a bank manager, let's say. But in this country, it's very much a part-time job. And I think that needs to change first. So you're effectively, we, we need to establish a, a, a better credibility of reputation for the industry in order yeah. to then say, look, this is a very serious career that you can have. You're going to have an awful lot of fun while you're here, but you can build yourself a very serious career. I think some of this starts even at, at schools and with careers advice. Um, yeah. I, I know myself trying to uh, support schools across across England with, we are a hospitality organisation that can come in and give you the most fabulous careers advice and support with next steps. It doesn't have to be with us. It can be with any organisation, mm-hmm. but hospitality is awesome. Yeah. Um, and there are so many doors that are closed because you are not in certain sectors. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, I so hope that the the change in legislation last year would see a change in sectors like hospitality being welcomed in. And it doesn't seem to be. So that's mm. I do believe one of the areas that that still needs to be uh, explored further. And I know there's fabulous work that Springboard are doing with yep. the IOH as well, which uh, which will certainly help. But yeah, there does need to be a change, even from that very early stage. I think you raised a fantastic point about schools there, Michaela. So as I mentioned earlier, I volunteer the Enterprise Career Service. I won't mention the name of the school that I'm currently working with, but I had a fantastic meeting with them the first time I met. They laid out this wonderful careers program. It was a fantastic four-hour meeting with step-by-step what they do from year seven through to year 13 when they leave. But ultimately, it almost fell flat for me at the end because the conclusion was when they were asked, what's, what's the end goal for these people? The answer was university. Mm. And what about those that don't attend university? And there was nothing. There was no content there to support those people. And actually, we offer some fantastic apprenticeship schemes that add so much value in terms of those that knowledge, skills and behaviour framework we're talking about. And not just in, in hospitality. If we look at the other other roles that are in high demand that can be validated by apprenticeships, you know, carpenters, electricians, plumbers, all jobs in high demand that people aren't seeing the value in that that learning development. It's it's systematic from, I think, the way that we're, we're taught as young people to look at that particular sector when actually there's a wealth of opportunity within hospitality in particular. We very much look at it in a linear fashion, I think, like Harry so rightly said, kitchen porter, waiter, section waiter, chef de wrong, whatever. When actually I think what we're seeing now is a rise in internal mobility. So people moving around, but not out. So professional, you know, professionals are no longer thinking of career growth in that traditional term. They're kind of ditching that career ladder for the sort of lattice and making moves to other areas within the organizational sector so you know like myself 12 years in operations before moving into D, i've not moved out i've simply transitioned into a role where i feel i can better apply my skills to support that talent pipeline coming through yeah absolutely a, car- a career lattice eh <laughs> god we are uh, groundbreaking with the phrases on this podcast that's definitely better than my one that's for sure but um but i suppose you could argue that the that 
schools is actually the beginning of the talent attraction process, really. I mean, you know, if, this is about sowing the, the positive seeds for somebody to be able to visualize or however they see things in, yeah, I could do that. Oh yeah, I'm really engrossed by that. I want to. I, that's what I want to. Uh, that's what I want to become, or whatever that is. And that happens that early in the process. So it's not even just about, I suppose. And that's, I guess we've kind of moved on to talking about talent attraction, the wider sense for the industry, rather than a, a company specific approach. Uh, and that's fine because I think that's a massive part of of everything that we're we're talking about here. We'll maybe come back onto the the company thing shortly, but. Yeah, that's how we that's how we gra- grab them young, uh, as it were. And I think the 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 thing about the university thing is is that actually, if you think about the quantity of people who want to go down that route, and I'm absolutely not lambasting anybody who does this. I did the university route myself, but actually, the the quantity of jobs that are available for degree educated people is less than it was, say, twenty years ago. Mm. So you're fighting a, 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 a I suppose a, in a a smaller pool uh, of jobs, whereas actually not everybody learns through academia, and uh, and hospitality can be a massive benefactor of that. Absolutely, I think we've seen certainly a rise in our understanding of flexible learning styles and how we deliver our training content to people in terms of that attraction as well. If we consider, you know, the vast array of learning styles, visual, auditory, reading, kinesthetic, etc. As a sector, I think we're fantastic at tailoring our resources to meet those needs and offering development opportunities to those that perhaps would be otherwise overlooked because they don't fit that conventional mould. And I don't know kind of how how you feel about that, Michaela, in terms of heading up quality and content and what you do to sort of fortify that. But I'd be keen to kind of get an understanding. Absolutely. I think over the last, I think over, particularly over the last 10 years in education, we've seen such a, a change in how we approach teaching. Um, and the pandemic for for some of the the poor things um, explored uh, how we can teach better online, have a really strong and effective mix and blend with our learning, um, ensuring that every single learner and individual matters and counts. And they've got a learning plan that right from the beginning is aspirational, but also achievable for them and uh, making sure that it's right for those individuals, making sure that progress is always revisited so everybody knows where that individual is and making sure that the employer is involved with every single stage is so important because otherwise you've got an individual that is going on their own learning pathway but isn't involving the employer and therefore the employer doesn't get as much out of it without that and nor does the individual themselves absolutely couldn't agree more yeah absolutely harry anything to to add on anything that we've kind of covered in the last few minutes before i move on i think career lattice is possibly one of the greatest things i've heard for an awful long time (laughs) (laughs) from that in all seriousness i think it, it is quite lovely that now as you say rather than looking at a ladder people are chopping and changing between totally different careers. Um, We've got someone that works here that their degree was in biomedical science, but sort of on the weekends, as we say, need a job, need some money, come and work in hospitality, but they're now full-time with us. So bye bye medical science and hello world of hospitality. Both very very (laughs) different professions, I must say, but uh, both very rewarding, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I think if you th- if you think about the law of averages, uh, the chances of somebody picking a career at the age of 14, 15, 16, whatever you, you do it, and actually sticking with that until the end of their working life, it, it's got to be actually pretty slim, hasn't it? Yeah. Because you, you you change your your perceptions of things, you change your ideas, what's important to you as you kind of advance through your life with whatever you, you kind of come across. So why shouldn't we bring people into the, the industry at kind of any stage in their career? We, we don't need to just be focusing on the, the people who are at the beginning of their career. Absolutely. There's some lovely programs out there supporting that. And I think Michaela's already mentioned Springboard, but they do a fantastic learning for life program. And that's the amount of people I've spoken to in mock interviews from just a vast array of diverse backgrounds, learning experiences, are looking to make a transition in is really, really reassuring in terms of 
you know, that feeling we've, of dread, I suppose, we've had for the last couple of years that there won't be people wanting to move into our sector, only people moving out. Yeah, I think the, the thing to then contemplate on the back of this, when, when we're attracting people into the industry, at whatever stage uh, we get them in their life, is that it's one thing, this comes back to what I was saying earlier on about, it's one thing to market it to people to say, look, it's, it's going to be X, Y, Z if you come in. But if we then deliver, you know, STU instead of X, Y, Z, to people, then you know, inevitably, people are going to to go. Well, hang on a minute. This is this is not what I was expecting. So that clarity at the beginning of the process is so 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 important. But then critically to be able to carry that through is is probably the next important piece of that jigsaw. Great. Okay. Well, I'm gonna let's bring it back to company focus. What do you think are 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 some of the biggest challenges at the moment that's uh, in attracting talent into to what is quite a competitive marketplace? I think at the moment one of the um, one of the considerations is just the amount of job vacancies there are at the moment and the choice that individuals have. So making sure that your um, your talent post is absolutely right and is accessible. And making sure that it's also considering things like uh, inclusion, diversity. Zachary mentioned earlier about sort of flexible working and making sure that that's considered in there as well. Because otherwise, you will find that potential talent will move to another position and not even consider your own. Yeah, I've got. I've actually got some real world experience of this as well as uh, as an external recruiter. I have. I've been doing this now for for twenty odd years. So the the change that we've seen across those twenty odd years is quite remarkable. In in fact, and actually, probably now the change has never been so quick than it than it ever has. But one of the things I remember on the the back of the pandemic was having a discussion with a client who needed a couple of people for their. Uh, it was a finance. A couple of finance junior roles within their department, and the the first question on everybody's lips now, especially in the support services, as opposed to being out in the operations, it's still more more difficult to get that hybrid flexibility into a, an operational role, of course, because you've actually got to physically be there. But for the support services, where tech allows us to be distant from the 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 humans around us to do the job. There was no flexibility. You know, it's a five days a week in the office. And it became very apparent to me very quickly in that process that the talent pool went from, let's say, 100% of people who were interested in a role of that down to about 25% of people who would actually then consider a five day a week uh, in the office role. So if a company is unwilling to be flexible, then they have to just accept that from a talent attraction perspective, your pool of talent is going to be smaller. Because if there's that, if there's not that flexibility to the the needs of the market, then uh, by very definition, you're just going to find yourself uh, in a much smaller pool of talent. But yeah, I think the key point is that you cannot now, as a business or a leader or whatever you wherever you sit within a business, you cannot say, well, this is the way that it's always been done. Yeah. Never before have we needed to have a lot more innovation around the way things have been done. And what I'd say to people out there who have maybe feel they have like really outlandish ideas or, or things where they think to themselves, no, that's, that sounds really stupid, but it just might work, then try it because what have you got to lose? As long as you're not uh, distorting your brand's image, your own image, as long as you're doing things well and you're, you're making sure that anybody you are attracting into your business is, is has all of the tools that they need to be successful in whatever you bring them in to do, then what's to stop you just trying stuff? Because I think we need innovation more than ever. I think so. I, th- I was going to say, I think this is one of the, the beauties of, of working with an organisation like the, the IOH, where we can come together all different types of businesses and actually share what's working and some of our quirky little ideas that we may have, have tried. And actually they worked... <laughs> So why don't we t- we share these things more? Because at the end of the day, we want hospitality to be the best sector in this country, in the world. 
Um, and we can only do that if we work together. I think Mikael's absolutely right about in terms of in terms of innovation. There's things that we're doing now that perhaps are unfathomable three years ago, using QR codes to take orders at tables, for example, delivering home meals to public services during the pandemic, things we never would have entertained because we didn't think they were possible. And ultimately, anything's impossible until it's done. There's a really lovely example that I know Fullers have when they're looking at their um, what they call their MTP level four candidates. And they simply ask each candidate to give them their most wacky idea. They're not asking for something realistic. They're just simply looking for someone that has the drive to look outside the box and embrace creative ideas and new innovation. Because ultimately, otherwise, we end up doing the same thing as we have done for years. Our sector dies, business closes, and it's all woe betide, which we simply can't have. And I don't think we will have. And we're seeing plenty of innovation just in terms of basic offerings, not just across central London, but across the country. There's so many USPs popping up for different businesses that are going to attract people in because they want to be part of that exciting journey, which is wonderful to see. Yeah, absolutely. Harry, you're, you're think, going to say something. Yeah, um, QR codes, big one in terms of innovation for the industry that pre-pandemic, would you ever have thought that some of the biggest shiniest restaurants out there would be putting qr codes on their tables but then in the space of a few months everything changed i think it takes a a catalyst like that to really promote change quickly for our recruitment drives that we do on a normal match day we sit at about 1400 staff and on our our biggest event sort of american football the nfl um we push up nearly to 1800 of which is about 30% agency. The rest have all been recruited by ourselves or directly recruited. So for us, the recruitment drive is such a big, heavily um, intensive in terms of resources that we used to use, whereas now a lot of it is done online. Um, we have a learning platform that we can actually preload up all of our sort of information that we want the staff to learn and to know. So then when we first meet them, we would always do a face-to-face meet anyway but then you're testing them on things that ordinarily you'd have had to have briefed them on first, then tested, whereas for us it saves hours. Yeah, especially when you're dealing with that kind of quantity. And I suppose that's one of the challenges when you're dealing with any kind of quantity-led recruitment is is to maintain integrity in that process, right? Because uh, the easiest option is perhaps I just need to get bums filled into the seats well, in, uh, that are available. It, yeah, interestingly, it was um, sort of at the beginning of COVID, well, sort of on the coming out of the pandemic, our, I suppose our worst event that we had, we were hitting nearly 200 staff shortage, which for most uh, businesses in London, that's probably the maximum number they would have, whereas that was our shortage. Um, what we found now recently is that actually it's becoming the other way now, rather than us crying out for numbers, now we're able to be a little more selective, which is quite nice. So the talent is certainly out there. It's not all, I know we've mentioned it can be difficult, but I think there is certainly a positive at the end of at the end of all this, let's say. Yeah, and I guess on the back of that as well, if you are now at a point whereby it's, it's less problematic, I'm yeah. guessing a lot of that is to do because the people who have come to your business, their experience has been a, a generally positive one. There's always going to be moments and shifts yeah. that are a, night, a nightmare to deal with. That's just part and parcel of the job. But if you're giving your your team members a good experience when they come to work, then they're more likely to turn back up to work. Absolutely. One of our biggest things, I, I wouldn't necessarily, it's innovative, but it was certainly something that we thought we wanted to change. And rather than calling our staff staff, we always refer to them as guests. Because nice. yeah. as a business, we are inviting the staff in to us. So they are our guests. So we, so when they arrive, it's always a nice smile and welcome. Make sure they've got a bottle of water, maybe a snack or something. And you sort of take them on that journey with you. And ultimately becoming a, I suppose it's becoming the preferred employer is the ultimate aim for most hospitality businesses. And that's what we're certainly aiming to do on rather large numbers. Well, it seems like you're winning. Uh, you're doing something right. So Harry has all the answers, everyone. Just, oh, uh, no, not at all. He <laughs> talk to me about football either. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, just a couple of things before I, I let you all get on your way. Do you think that prestigious, and I use this in inverted commas, prestigious brands 
still have an edge. And I'll get the the why I ask this question is is that again I come back to my recruitment head, is that I've historically had conversations with brands who would be considered to be prestigious, and when you give them feedback on their uh, process has really not been especially great. Maybe it took too long or there was too many people in that process. So you lost the engagement of a, of a candidate. A lot of the answers were always, well, you know, they should want to work for us because this is our brand. Um, do you think that there are brands that still carry that power or do you think that we, we've moved well beyond that now? I would, I would say there are some organisations that still believe that is the case. However, a majority, I think, have have changed and no longer have that expectation at all. I think, Michaela, that's exactly right. I think there's companies that think that that is the case. But in actuality, I think all the things we've spoken about in the last sort of hour or so, the, the transparency of when you're trying to attract staff, the marketing, the delivery of that, I think that is now more important than who the company is or who the company once was? It's a very difficult one to answer. I completely agree with you. I think to some degree, we're all tiptoeing very slightly with our words to make sure we don't cause any sort of labour defence. I think there's potentially an argument to be made for them still possessing some clout, certainly in terms of opportunity they offer. So if we look at certain prestigious hotels, for example, or groups of hotels that maybe operate one, two, three, four sites versus a really large chain that offers 1,500, is there potentially more opportunity in those smaller businesses because they have more clout and you're able to participate in things like, you know, the gold service scholarship, you've got access to, you know, the mastering holders, aspiring leaders diploma, because there's more visibility for you within that business. There's less steps between you and the top line person making those decisions that opens those doors. I don't know. But equally, that comes in, I suppose, with its own deficits. If you're in a smaller business, less sites, you don't necessarily have the same opportunity to progress because retention may be a little bit higher. There's less vacancies, there's less people moving. So does that, to some degree, stunt your career growth? I think it's very much a double-edged sword in terms of what you're looking for as a candidate as to whether that business holds clout for you or not. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with you. I think that the key thing for me is, is, I suppose, a point we raised earlier on as well, is that there different brands, different companies are there for for different people. You know, you can't, not everybody is going to get on with a five-star luxury brand. Not everybody is going to get on with, well, dare I say, I was going to say McDonald's, but maybe they're the worst example I could give right now uh, in the um, in the quick service range, but for me, ultimately, it just comes back to 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 one simple idea, and that is that the, the brand is nothing without the action that backs it up. So it's one thing to have a prestigious brand if you then are applying a prestigious mentality to in how you attract people into your business, then you're going to win because that all feeds into the same thing. But if you're then not backing that up again, what we've been talking about uh, all the way through this, if you're not backing that up with the right actions when somebody comes into your business, then it all counts for nothing, ultimately. Uh, and I don't think that really changes, for me anyway, it doesn't change whether you're a prestigious brand or whether you're a not prestigious brand. And, uh, you know, people's perceptions of prestigious are different anyway, right? Absolutely. And I think we should be encouraging people to actually explore. I think all too often we see someone that, you know, goes to a hotel school and they spend their entire career in hotels or someone that goes for a pub graduate scheme and only spends their time in pubs. But actually having done both, there's merits to both. Looking at my level five learners, for example, at the moment on their operations manager course, I've got fantastic GMs who have just got this wonderful business overview, complete control of their site and their P&L and their suppliers. But perhaps because of that general, i.e. the general manager being, you know, <laughs> master you know jack of all trades master of none they don't have that necessarily concise view of everything their business needs in terms of meeting their guest expectations delivering a quality service to the level that a hotel might on the opposite end you've got wonderful heads of department at hotels that are so guest focused down to every detail they're doing things you may not even think about in your in your run of the mill pub but they perhaps don't have the same operational oversight that you'd have because they've got this wonderful level of bureaucratic support inside the business so i think explore these things find what works for you because like you said there is no one size fits all Excellent. Okay. Uh, last question, because I can't, you, I, I can't, you can't really get through a conversation at the moment without talking about it because it's everywhere. Artificial intelligence. What part, if any, do we see artificial intelligence playing in the talent attraction process? 
I might have to just put a little caveat on this one before I speak. Although I am, I suppose, should be in the generation of AI, I unapologetically still have a paper diary. So Very good. <laughs> I think hospitality is and always will be people focused. And I think if you rely heavily on AI for, let's say it's the experience or the, I think it's out in Japan, they've got the robots, robot waiters and waitresses. Yes, I think it's partly gimmicky, but would it necessarily, it's more of a fad, I think, rather than something here to stay in hospitality in its truest sense. I I think from a recruitment process for being able to potentially um, initially sort of look through CVs and applicants and take removing some of the bias it it could have its place for being able to open a much wider pool of talent that perhaps a person may not have uh, considered on an individual basis um, and then some of the systems and processes may help to make the the um, keeping in touch with people more effective uh, and uh, remove some of those steps that somebody may forget to do something, whereas those processes may take over. So there may be a place for AI within recruitment in hospitality. However, I agree, Harry, it does not uh, replace that human touch, which is so important in this sector. Absolutely. I've had a conversation with somebody recently who is at the helm of a a tech company who operates within the recruitment space in terms of they're offering AI-led job boards and AI-led candidate management. And even he said, uh, at this time, for sure, I mean, AI is learning, so let's keep asking this question every every year or so, or maybe even every month at the rate it's going. But um, is that, uh, especially in this industry, where the human is so important to actually how something is delivered to the overall experience. I agree. I, I, it's difficult for me, and maybe I'm saying that because I'm biased towards the world of personal recruitment, um, <laughs> but it's difficult for me to see when a, there would be a time where you could not have that human touch in your process at some point. But uh, as I say, I might be a dinosaur in my thinking when that it remains to be seen. Zachary, any thoughts on on that subject before we wrap it up? I mean, a wise man knows he knows nothing. We all thought that, you know, post-pandemic, we'd have a huge pool of people to go on and how wrong we were in terms of our recruitment. So who knows what AI could potentially offer or do for us in the future. And hopefully there's some absolute whiz kids out there doing wonderful things that are going to help us reinvigorate our sector and drive more innovation forward. So yes, I certainly hope there's a place for it if it's going to bring us more fantastic people. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I actually wrote down as we were talking about innovation earlier, and I'm glad you brought it back up because it's given me an excuse to say this quote. Um, innovation comes out of difficulty and difficulty is inevitable so you know there's not one plain sailing route to the top Uh, adversity and difficulty come your way without question um, and that's when the best innovations come so it remains to be seen whether AI will play its part in that overall innovation piece Um, but uh, yeah I think that's a wonderful way to wrap things up Guys, thank you so much. I have thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. I hope that others have as well. Uh, I think we've raised some really interesting points. Uh, I think some great takeaways for for everyone as well. And uh, yeah, can't thank you enough for for all your your comments today. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Phil. You're very welcome. Have a good day. I'm I'm in. Today's episode of I'm In covered the changing face of talent attraction and featured Harry Champion, AIH, Zachary Millward, MIH, Michaela Barlow, FIH and hosted by me, Phil Street, FIH. A huge thank you goes to the IOH's very own Leon Williams, FIH for the music and Sonia Cresswell, MIH for the artwork and branding. To say I'm In and feature on a future episode, contact phil.street at instituteofhospitality.org and to find out more about the Institute of Hospitality or to join our hospitality family, please click the links in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening and join us next time where we'll be discussing the importance of the front office manager.